an inside look at the restaurant industry and entrepreneurial insight to help you succeed. It's the Paper Trails Podcast with Albemarle Paper Supply. Hey guys, this is Nick Caligaramitros, and we are back with the Paper Trails Podcast by Albemarle Paper Supply. Just wanted to come at you guys real fast. I know it's been a little bit of a break. Happy New Year. We got our first two episodes in uh, several weeks ago and uh, wanted to come out with episode three. And so hope you guys had a uh, fantastic Christmas and Happy New Year and uh, a good start to your uh, to your 2020. And so this podcast, if you guys are listening to this or watching this, is all about entrepreneurship and business ownership. Obviously, we're in the uh, paper business. We do disposable products. Uh, for restaurants and caterers, um, and so we're primarily in the food service uh, industry. You know, my my father uh, owns restaurants, and I kind of grew up in that business. And so, uh, super excited to bring you guys. Actually, our first guest. And so we got Mikey Winsel, and so he is gonna be our first guest. He is the owner of uh, Go Burrito, and uh, some other projects that he's working on that he'll tell us. And so he's been a uh, gosh a customer of ours for years. Eight years. By seven, eight years for sure. And so uh, excited to have him on the podcast. Welcome on the podcast, Mikey. Thank you. And so just uh, super pumped about having him uh, come in and share some of his experiences and background. He's got a, a very unique, excuse the <laughs> excuse the fire engines coming by. We have a little bit of an emergency you know, uh, business. That's part of the cool part about being downtown. There you, you go. You've got the downtown noises yep. adds uh, to the character. That's true. We're, we're here in, in, in downtown Salisbury. Uh, you know where we have uh, the first uh, first location to go burrito. This is their their offices that uh, we're hanging out in, and so. Um, but yeah, we just want to find out more about Mikey's background, how he ended up here with restaurants, and he's got a pretty cool story. And so, uh, yeah, I guess we'll start off, Mikey. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up here, Salisbury. You yeah. know, and um, maybe your professional background, how you started. Uh, we were talking a little bit off camera about you know some of your background and academia and things like that, and so you know. How did everything begin for you and your family? Yeah, well, uh, we moved out here. Very, very direct reason what brought us out here was the affordable cost of lakefront living. Okay. So uh, Salisbury is, in Rowan County here is home to High Rock Lake, which is second largest lake in North Carolina. Wow. And uh, pretty obvious that the cost of living in North Carolina is a lot cheaper and uh, more affordable than where I come from, which is California. And then I was living in Seattle for a while, working at Microsoft for a long while, about uh, 12 years. Okay. And we always uh, we got into boating and wakeboarding and all that kind of fun stuff, um, but couldn't afford to live on the water. In fact, I mean, waterfront out there was so expensive. We had, uh, we knew a lady who had a lakefront house and she didn't really care for it. And she wanted to sell it and she's like, you guys should buy it. And I did the math on it. I said, if you gave me your house, I don't think I could afford to pay the property taxes on it. Her property taxes were more than my mortgage uh, on my non-lakefront house. Wow. And that's already West Coast prices. You know, I was you know, living in a $600,000 shoebox, not on the water. So um, anyway, so we, uh, we would watch these TV shows where, um, I don't know if I've seen these TV shows in a while, but there's ones that would say, what you get for $400,000. That was literally the name of the show, something for $400,000. And it'd say like, uh, you know, Austin, Texas. And they would look at what you get for $400,000 or what you get for $300,000 if you move to Kansas City or, or whatever. And one thing was clear is every one of these episodes 
for like half the money of our house, we could be living in a 4,000 square foot house on a golf course or you know something like that. And we're like, what are we doing here? I was working at Microsoft, um, very happy, loved the company, I was working on Xbox, um, video games, you know, had what a lot of people would probably consider kind of a dream job, sure. you know, traveling around the world, you know, making really good money, but my money didn't go very far yeah. living in Seattle. And um, one of the reasons I chose Seattle was initially when I was graduating college is I was trying to avoid the high cost of living in California. Okay. And Seattle was kind of like the next best thing. Um, also, the weather up there didn't quite jibe with me. Um, snow skiing is great, and I miss it. Um, the food is awesome. There's a lot of pluses about it, but Seattle's a place I'd rather visit than live there year-round. Okay. Um, so we went lakefront shopping. Okay. And, I mean, when we went lakefront shopping, we looked at the entire United States. Now, the plan was let me try to negotiate with my management that I could work from home. And I had seen this a lot at Microsoft. Okay. Um, Microsoft was one of those places where it's a fantasy world that most people can't relate to. Like, like people get a job and then like within five to 10 years, they're basically rich off stock options. Um, I missed that boat a little bit, but the people who came just a couple years before me, we'd be around a conference table like this and be like, where's Joe? Oh, he called in rich. <laughs> that happened all the time. Well, what happened is people get come to work and they, they start realizing they got, people always had an, an exit number. And I would say for a lot of people, that exit number was somewhere around three or $4 million. They figured, hey, if I had $4 million, if I could make a 10% return off my investment, pretty lofty goal, but then I'd make $400,000 a year for the rest of my life. And why am I working? Right. So their, so their work ethic would go down. And then when you have like a, you know, calling a team meeting on a Saturday, yeah, there's certain people that just don't show up because they're like, yeah, I got too much money in the bank. I'm not showing up. So, so eventually they call in rich, nice. but, um, but anyways, uh, that, that wasn't quite me. But the thing is, is that the, the money there was, was good, but for people like me who were, who were newer in the system, uh, all I saw was all, all, all these people living on the lakefront homes, very expensive. Yeah. We were thinking that um, we would be able to work remote. So instead of someday calling in rich, um, which I, I never really was going to get there, but if I got to a point where I'm important to the company, they would let me work from home. Because yeah. that's what some of these people who called in rich, yeah. they, were, they were like, well, what if we let you still be an employee, but you don't ever have to come in, live wherever you want, go live yeah. on your island in Hawaii if you have to, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. come to work in your underwear, I don't care, whatever, as long as you can every once in a while report on some old bug yeah. or something, participate. So I thought, this is fine. So um, so we went lakefront shopping, sold a rental house we had, and had a $200,000 to play with. And, um, and so we looked at the entire United States. Now the thing is, just think about this experiment. You got the entire United States you want to live. Um, a boss is going to make me live contiguous United States. So the thing is, is living in the Virgin Islands, living in Alaska, living in Hawaii, probably less likely that a boss would let you do that yeah. because as long as you can get on a plane and be somewhere in an hour, we're okay. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, and I was traveling a bunch overseas anyway. So I was trying to make an argument. What does it matter where I live? What, you know, what does yeah. it matter? A right code for living? You know, so I don't, I can interact over camera. Anyway, so um, we looked at all the, all the 48 contiguous states uh -huh. and we say, look, I don't want to live anywhere north of like the middle because I don't want to deal with snow. Okay. And then you, when you start thinking of places like Florida, Florida is great in the wintertime, but summertime, you know, hot. like the bugs and yeah. hot and flat and whatever. So we started looking at places, um, really what came down um, was Austin, Texas 
and this part of North Carolina. Okay. I mean, the whole country. Like, it really came down to those are the only two places, climate-wise, where you'd want to live on a lake. You can uh -huh. enjoy the lake enough in the summer, but not be miserable in the wintertime. Did you know anybody right? in North Carolina I mean, or Texas? Way. No. So um, you, it just was process of elimination. It was process of elimination. So then, so then let's look at lakes. There's only so many lakes. Now, I want a lake that is within an hour's drive of a major airport because I was gonna have to travel. Yeah. And I also wanted to be an hour of a major city <coughs> because you want things like arts and culture and restaurants and places to take your wife sure. on an anniversary or yeah. if you wanna go see Cirque du Soleil or something like that. Okay. And you want, uh, let's say, good international food. You know, So there was beautiful lakes out in Arkansas about four hours out of Little Rock. Okay. Wasn't, wasn't reaching my goal here. Gotcha. Okay. Problem is, as soon as you have a lake right near these large cities, you're back up to like sky high prices, prices, right? Prices so right, yeah. Austin um, has a lake an, uh, within an hour. And uh, the problem is, is that there's a lot of people who make decent money in Austin. So it raises the price of the lake. Um, out here, we looked at Lake Norman. We thought Lake Norman was completely affordable. Okay. Uh, $400,000 an acre for undeveloped land. That's um, out, out in Seattle, it would be a little over a million dollars an acre for a quarter of an acre, sorry. Wow. So, and a quarter acre, it's not a very big lot. You know, yeah. your houses are practically touching. And um, so, it plus sky high taxes. So um, anyways, uh, Lake Norman was interesting, but then we found High Rock Lake. It's right by 85, you're an hour from Charlotte, an hour from the airport, an hour from the Greensboro airport, an hour from Greensboro, uh, Raleigh, we're like, I, I mean, I'm sorry, um, Winston-Salem. Winston, yeah. We're like, this place on a map on paper could not be better. Nice. So uh, bought, a land, bought a piece of land on High Rock Lake, sight unseen. Okay. And I even, even on a lake, it, it, it's, it's, it's funny how picky I am. But to me, there's a good side of the lake and a bad side of the lake. No, no disrespect to the people who live elsewhere on the lake. Sure. But to me, my criteria is I want to be as close to town as possible. I want to be close to restaurants and things like that, yeah. things to do, and I want to be close to the freeway. And the actual neighborhood that I bought in was a new development that came, and it is the closest waterfront on High Rock Lake to I-85. Nice. And it's like four minutes off the freeway. Nice. And so four minutes, and then I'm boom to the airport, to Charlotte, <coughs> to wherever I need to go. Nice. Um, now, we did not move out here because we were attracted to small town living. Okay. Quite the opposite. When you live in not a small town, I think you get used to the amenities. Things like parks and theaters and restaurants sure. and uh, all kinds of options for your kids to the zoo and yep, who knows yep. what, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, it, it was, we were kind of like, hey, maybe it'll be kind of neat living in a small town. So um, when we moved out here, this is kind of where my life changed. Okay. Um, first of all, to, to go from working in a corporate environment every day to uh, a campus of 70,000 people. Wow. And having a large team of 400 people that you work on, all those people that you know and collaborate with, to now like working at home, big shift. Living on a lake, it feels like I won the lottery every day. Mm, I'm, awesome. I, I still feel it, it's like that. And the people who are here don't know like how good they got it. They just, they just don't know. Um, and yeah, I can't imagine that many people would want to do that to go the other direction. They might see all the amenities of a city, that's great. But sure. then when they see how, how not far their money goes, 
you know? So the people who live in Seattle, you know, they pay thousands of dollars to do something like go Airbnb on a, Airbnb on a lake somewhere, mm. you know? But to just wake up and you have jet skis and a boat and stuff like that and the beautiful water and views and the birds and the, the wildlife. I mean, it is just wonderful. Um, but so that's, that's pretty much how we- How you guys ended up here? here. And you've yeah. been here for how long? That was, I think, 2008. And so I bought my land, okay. I bought my land sight and unseen. I oh. bought on the internet, it was $5,000 down. And I told my wife, I said, look, we got six months before we got to come up with the rest of the cash. And, um, and I said, I would walk away from $5,000. I yeah. would eat that loss. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't be happy about it, but I'd, I'd rather eat $5,000 than get stuck with a piece of land that I don't like. Mm. But we had an opportunity, this development, they opened up phase two. We got first dibs on all of the lots in phase two. It was like, put your $5,000 down today and you get first pick. And I picked a little bit of a lot with a little bit of a peninsula, <coughs> which is desirable on the water. Nice. And so. there's other things like living on the water, uh -huh. whether you face south or north, east or west. There you go. Um, because do you want to face the sun or do you want to be in shade? Do you want to face a cove? Most people want bigger views. It was a nice lot. Nice. So you enjoy it out here now? Or are you a small time, small town kind of guy? Yeah, I, I would. I, I I do like it out here a lot, and I'm <clears> glad <throat> that my kids grew up out here. Cool. Um, I hate to say it, I'm not a fan of the urban personalities. Um, that I mean, I don't have any problem with with with, with the urban person. They, they actually let me walk this back. I mean, they actually make life interesting. Yeah. But some of the more eccentric kind of types you have that make life interesting, and it's kind of like, I don't know, I wouldn't want life any other way, like in downtown Seattle and the kind of, yeah. the people that you get, the variety of people you get. It's just that my own kids, um, I thought it'd be neat if they grew up, not like that urban personalities, but more like, you know, they grew up fishing and yeah. swimming yeah, 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 and yeah. boating. And Where'd you grow up? In California? So I grew up in California in the okay. Bay Area. Okay. Um, San Jose, um, population of over a million. And I grew up in a neighborhood that's just a neighborhood for as far as wide as you could see. You know, you could ride your bike half an hour in any direction and you're still in a neighborhood. Wow. People, just people, 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 people. The houses are touching. I mean, you could never did it as a kid, but you always thought about it, but you could just about jump to the to your neighbor's roof. Wow. Yeah. So your kids grew up totally different than how, you know, you were in the middle, yeah. you know. And then I love the way I grew up. Sure, I love sure, the way I grew sure, up, yeah. but also time had changed, yeah. right? So when I grew up, we still had block parties and trick-or-treating was awesome. And you know, like in cities though, things get a little bit less um, personal over time. Gotcha. So I don't think that they do the block parties and the trick-or-treating and, and I think that, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I have a theory on this. Okay. So when you live in a city, um, you think about this, like you go, you get in your car in the morning and you got an hour commute yeah. and in California, um, I don't even know if there is such thing as an hour in the Bay area. It's, it's anything under an hour, anything under an hour would be great. Yeah. Right. Because you look at your job, let's say you work at Apple or Facebook or Google or one of those big places. Right. Yeah. And you look at like, a like how far your commute time is. Well, the farther you go out, usually the more you can afford. Yeah. So if you want to spend, you know, one and a half million dollars and you can ride a bike to work, but so does everybody else at Apple or Facebook or Google. So, um, but if you go out like an hour, you can afford this. If you go out two hours, you might be able to afford a slightly larger house with a swimming pool. If you can, if you go out, God forbid, like three or four hours and people do that. Wow. Well, imagine you just have an hour commute and an hour commute in the Bay Area is probably about like, 12 miles, 
Okay, so it's not far. Yeah. It's just that stop and go. Traffic, yeah, yeah. You could ride the bus and, you know, and I don't know, all these things that aren't like a very um, luxurious lifestyle, you know. Well, you're sitting there an hour. You know what? You hate everybody near you. <laughs> Everybody in the car is is your enemy, yeah, right? And you're yeah. you're cussing at them, and they cut you off, yeah, and you're yeah. trying to cut people off and let me over. So you get to work. Like, aren't you in a bad mood? You just spent an hour hating your fellow humans, right? Yeah. And then you come home, and all you want to do is get home and eat, see your family, and you spend another hour, right? And so in a small town, it's funny now. Um, what traffic frustrates me is that there's somebody's driving. 45 when i'm like dang it the speed limit's 55 out here in the country don't you know that like speed up you know and um uh but you just generally don't start off you don't spend two hours of your day yeah. hating on your fellow humans interesting you know? interesting it's a great theory so how so how do we jump from microsoft coding xbox you know that world to restaurants well the funny thing is is partly um in a, in a way, I mean, I did switch over to restaurants, okay. but in another way, like, you can't take the, the nerd out of me. So, you know that saying that if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? Yeah. Well, that's me. I, I write uh, an ungodly amount of code, okay. and I write code now for restaurants. I used to write code for video games, okay. and I used to write code on large teams. Okay. Where we have people who help you design the code, test the code, work on the code together, break it into pieces. Um, but I still do a lot of that myself. But okay. um, my plan, so when I moved out here to Salisbury, one thing that I saw everywhere, and I still see it today, I can look out those window behind me and I can see it is opportunity. Mm. Um, when you see what, when you're, that's just because I'm from a city or, or a more urban environment. I was really more from, the suburbs of a city, but still, yeah. there's just ginormous businesses everywhere, right? And it's very, very seldom in a booming <coughs> economy that you find vacant storefronts. You know, move out here, I see some vacant storefronts, and you start thinking, what could go there? And think about this: like you go on vacation. Let's let's say you just go over to Asheville for the weekend. Yeah. Invariably, about 20 times during that trip, you're gonna say, "Man, it'd be cool if they had something like this in Salisbury," or. Armoire, so, wherever you're yeah, from, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're gonna say, man, it'd be cool if they had like a little restaurant like this, or like, oh man, when's the last time it's you true. had good like Indian food? Or, um, I mean, we had uh, there's just there's more variety, and you kind of want that, and so you go, well, why don't we have it? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, um, why don't we have a butcher in town? It drives me crazy. Like people out here love meat, but we go to we go to the grocery store to get her meat, yeah. you know? And like, I mean, really, if you ask anybody around, where, where's the best meat around? It's like, you gotta get Sam's Club, like that's our that's our bar, yeah. you know? Yeah. And everywhere else I've lived, you had you had butchers. And when you had like a nice, let's say you had an anniversary and you wanted nice USDA prime, you know, fat marbled steak, yeah. you go to a butcher, you know? And out here, I just, I, I, there's, there's just an opportunity, and I, I see storefronts. I mean, this building that we're in has some space, and maybe it could have a butcher someday. But um, uh, when I seen all this opportunity, um, that that kind of led into Go Burrito. Okay. Well, Go Burrito started off life as a candy store. So what happened was I moved out here. Okay. And my most of my family is still in California. Okay. And I have three older sisters. They're just basically my age, and. Okay. Um, uh, a mom and a stepdad and and then my real dad yeah. they're all living over here well they come visit and they'd go ah oh, it's like you won the lottery yeah like you're living look at this house you're living in on the lake like yeah. like 
like you made a good decision coming out here and then my mom and my stepdad they are small town people and they uh, my mom has never liked california okay and she's been from remote very small coal mining towns in pennsylvania okay i hate it there because it's economically depressed gotcha. i mean everybody dies of black lung they're all on government money it's not it's a kind of depressing place but they see, find the scene the charm in it and um, you know, where the mailman knows everybody's name in the entire town by person, you know. And um, anyways, well, they come out here and they loved it. Walking downtown Salisbury. Well, they literally came on a trip where they drove out here because that's just, you know, my parents for you. On the drive back somewhere around Missouri, they called me up and they said, we bought a house in Salisbury. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, it would have been nice if you consulted me because I'd like to give some input. But they bought, they were on the historic Salisbury tour okay. and they bought the one house that was for sale on the tour. Wow. They fell in love with it. And these homes are pricey for what you get because there's a lot of craftsmanship that it takes to restore them. They're not cheap homes to restore. So um, it almost takes someone from out of state or out of the area to buy it, uh. you know, to see the value in it. From California, they thought the house was cheap. Um, so they, they put an offer on it and they moved out here. So okay. then my sisters go, that's not fair. You stole mom and ace, you know? And uh, so then they started looking at coming. And then one of my sisters really wanted to come for real. Now she's an entrepreneur. She is the entrepreneur in the family. Okay. She had a house cleaning business that turned into apartment cleaning. So when you move out of your apartment, yeah, you know they somebody comes in and, and does a, a deep clean, and then um, she got into painting apartments, and then um, I actually used to work for her back in the day, so I used to clean toilets for a living, and nice. uh, it was a great job and taught me that it's not what I want to do for my life is cleaning toilets, but um, but anyways, uh, she had uh, she was doing pretty well at it, uh -huh. and um, but she's like if I move to North Carolina. I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s. I can't start that over. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it, it took years and years and years to build up this, this client list. And uh, so she's like, I'm going to have to do something different. And I know she likes to bake and do cookies and make uh, homemade candies and stuff like that. I said, well, my town needs a candy store. And I was thinking of um, candy stores where they have the taffy pulling machines and they make the homemade truffles and fudges yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh -huh. And my sister was like, oh, that, that's, that sounds like me. She said, that sounds way better than cleaning apartments. And I, you know, I had some Microsoft money. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's, um, when you come out here next, let's look at some storefronts and there's a bunch of empty ones and we'll see about renting a, uh, a shop for a yeah. candy store, yeah. not buying a building and renovating none yeah. of that, you yeah, know, just yeah, like yeah. 700 bucks a month of rent, put some equipment some in there. Summer, yeah. And, um, well, while we were looking for that, we came across the building that go burritos in now. Yeah. Now that had a sandwich shop in there called the carousel cafe Okay. closed for five years. But when you look through the window, still had the counter in there, still had all the tables and chairs. It looked like, why all, is this place never open? All the bones it were was actually there. clean yeah. in there, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but anyway, so we went in there and right when we walked in there, literally my foot fell through the floor. <laughs> like it literally fell through, like put a hole in the floor about that big. Wow. The building needed to be gutted and renovated, whatever. But that building was not for rent. It was for sale. And um, well, when I saw that built, we're not going to buy a building, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to renovate it, to put in a candy store that yeah. meanwhile, I'm a numbers guy running all the math on it. Yeah. 
Candy is a fringe purchase. Yeah. Nobody drives to your store to get candy. It's yeah. more like if they're walking by. Full impulse buy, yeah. So you know how you need to have a successful candy store is you need to have a lot of foot traffic. Mm. And you don't make a lot per customer and you don't really, you know, uh, you don't have that many customers. You know, not everybody eats candy. Not everybody <coughs> eats candy every day. Yeah. Well, saw this building that is now the Go Burrito. So foreshadowing, obviously, yeah. this is what happened. Well. Well, it had a big long counter in there for a sandwich bar. Okay. Completely different from the layout now. Um, right now, the counter is perpendicular, but this counter was against the the lengthwise wall. Okay. But it, you know, whatever had a sandwich counter and blah blah blah. Cash registered in. Well, immediately it made my wife Lily and I think of a burrito place. Okay. And the only way I can tell the story is, we must have been hungry, because I saw that place and I was like, I need a burrito in my life. Now, I'm not an entrepreneur at this point in my okay, life. Okay. I make plenty good money yeah. working at Microsoft. Sure. I travel, like why, why would I give up that gig, yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, work on video games, it's fun. Um, and uh, I'm a, just a tech nerd, it's, it's right up my alley. But I'm like, somebody needs to put a burrito restaurant here. Hmm. So I come home, start running the math, because I was already used to running the math of all the business expense. You know, I mapped out a candy <coughs> restaurant. <clears throat> labor, cost of goods, everything. insurance, everything. And so, well, let me start putting in the burrito numbers. And I'm like, oh my God, this looks so much better. This could work. I mean, this looks so much better. And so one, one of the things I look at too is, it's pretty obvious that Chipotle does well, Moe's does well. Yeah. You know, you always hear of them opening new restaurants, not closing ones. This, these aren't struggling concepts. I go, how hard could it be? I grew up from California. I mean, you've got to season your meats. You've got to, um, you know, have a variety of offerings. You're sure. assembling down the line. I'm yeah. like this. This, as far as restaurants go, this is not a full service restaurant where you have hostess, you have sit down, you have food getting sent back, you yeah. have, you have finicky people in the kitchen that the 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 chef with the personality that you know I don't know what all yeah, the, all yeah, the moving yeah, yeah. parts in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re restaurants are not. Um, Rec it's not recommended for people with no restaurant experience just to go into a full service sure. restaurant. So I'm researching all the stuff about restaurants uh -huh. too. And what I'm finding is that when you get into uh, a full service restaurant, there's a bunch of moving parts, um, doing a triangle here, that at the base, there's the most things that could go wrong, the most that fail. And then you, when you go up to um, a, a fast food or quick service, that there's less moving parts, there's less profit, but more customers and it's gotcha. just it's just it's just safer you know and then when you get to the tip of the top you know what it was at the tip of the top at the time in 2012 was chipotle mm. chipotle fast a fast casual burrito restaurant is like an it. infallible business model that new york times wall street journal everybody's written article and article about the chipotle model and how every other restaurant wants to be like that model now I don't know why Chipotle gets all the credit. There's tons of these burrito places, but at the time, yeah. Chipotle was it was it popular. Yeah. yeah. So I started going to um, I started going to these places. There's nothing like that around here. They're everywhere in the United States, but somewhere we're in this little shadow where there's no burrito restaurant. So I got to drive, you know, half an hour to an hour around. And if I'm up in Winston, I'm like, guess what we're doing? We're going to Chipotle or Moe's, whatever. Well, I walk in there and I go. Oh, welcome to Moe's. And, and, I, and I say, hey, I'm your biggest fan. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I take some pictures? And they're like, whatever. Because I felt like 
you know, kind of doing it that way rather than just randomly taking pictures. Yeah, yeah. The, the minimum wage employees, they don't care. So I yeah. started taking pictures of, of just things and kind of getting for a feel for things. And I look at it, I'm like, it's exactly like, this isn't rocket science. You know, there's the meats, there's the rice and the beans basic. and blah, blah, blah. They assemble. And I don't know what's going on behind that room <coughs> there, but it's clearly storage and cooking and washing dishes. I'm like, this is not rocket science. Um, well, I would, uh, like, I have a very programmatic brain. Like, like I, I look at algorithms, you know? And so I'm looking at the algorithm of this, like how many people it takes to make the burritos and the time it takes. And, and I'm, I'm timing, the, I'm looking at the cash register and I'm timing the, the, how many people come through the cash. I don't care how long it takes to get through the line. I just want to see how many people are, are at the end. So we call that throughput in the computer industry. And then there's latency and there's bottlenecks. Like what's the slowest part of the line? Like how would I make this better? And, um, you know, Moe's, the food is not that great. Um, Chipotle, I actually think Chipotle's meats are seasoned. Um, that, that, I mean, they're fine. Um, but the offering is so limited. You know, you can't even get jalapenos there. It, like, makes no sense. I mean, they've got, yeah. like, five or six things to choose from. Yeah. Um, but I, I was like, man, we could do so much better than these places. Now, I think some of the more mom and pop places like Go Burrito turned out to be, I mean, those are the places that have the better food. Mm. Um, so anyways, I just, I, I, I looked at the equipment. I'm like, it makes sense. There's a heater, there's a warmer, there's a grid, whatever. And, um, and then, you know, portions, what people expect. And now here's what I figure is like, like these companies figured out how to do this. Yeah. I could figure out how to do this. Sure. And um, as far as the portions, the prices, these are all established, right? If you gave um, less portions than Moe's, then that wouldn't be a win, you know. If you if you're priced higher than than these competitors, you know. So so I don't even really have to do too much math. Is how much does chicken cost? How much does rice cost? How much does labor cost? Can I put that all together and sell it? Yeah. Well, the thing is, that if, if Chipotle and Moe's can sell a burrito at seven bucks and make a, a really good profit at then so can go burrito and i wrote a um a business plan okay. and my business plan <clears throat> at the end weighed at 37 pages i don't know why i remember this i'm not one of those photographic memory people okay. i just remember it's just it, it was a prominent to me that it, it it turned out to be such a beefy business plan well most people write a business plan for one reason yeah get money from the bank. I was, was right? going to say a loan, yeah. I, I had some stock uh, at Microsoft. The building was a hundred grand. Um, I was going to, you know, need another couple hundred grand maybe to renovate it, put a restaurant in there. I thought I could mostly self-finance this. Yeah. And so I wasn't even going to the banks. What I did was I wrote a business plan that's more like um, in the software world, we call it a spec, a specification. Okay. Um, if you were going to write, I don't know, uh, software the correct way, you're going to write an app for something to manage paper supplies. Yeah. You would have people sit down and design it on a whiteboard first, and they would say, this is what the database needs to look like, this is what the user interface is like, and they'd, they'd spec it out, right? Yeah, yeah. And the spec would also have things kind of like the challenges and the difficulties and whatever. <coughs> so my business plan was more like a technical spec, and I laid out all of the challenges. And really what I was trying to do is I was trying to talk myself out of it. And I've always had, um, I've, I've always accepted that our brains work very different emotionally and logically. Okay. And the emotional side always wins. Mm. When you're angry, 
try to convince the logical side of you. To, the logical side will be calmed down. The, the emotional side doesn't want to. If you're sad, yeah. you know, have a loss in your life or, yeah. you know, a, a, a breakup or, or, you know, some, some stress in your life, your logical side just doesn't function. So I was getting too excited about a burrito place spending way too much time on it this is before i bought the building yeah and um I, I was like calm down like don't do this restaurants fail right so then i'd go research all the thing about restaurants fail another thing was that at the time the tv was full of these shows uh, kitchen nightmares restaurant wood yeah, renovations yeah. Yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. And all I watched all these shows and absorbed them like a sponge. And everything that a restaurant would go bad. And guess what you'd see? You'd see a lot of stubborn people with emotion. So here comes in an expert. Now that expert is a jerk. That expert comes in yelling and kicking and throwing pots and pans. And you don't know how to run a restaurant. You're disgusting, whatever. And you watch these people defend their practices. But like all these mistakes they make, when you're, when you're a viewer who knows nothing but the restaurant industry, um, you can see all the all the mistakes that are being pointed out. You go, yeah. I mean, of course, they're hiring their drunk it's uncle, obvious. Yeah. right? You know, and and their their menu is horrible, and they know nothing about the cost of food, and they know nothing about managing labor and whatever. And their their health standards are disgusting, right? And you just go like, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. And so. It, it you can you can absorb a lot from these shows. Now keep in mind, I'm not watching these shows being entertained. I'm watching these shows to be learned, and I'm sitting there going like, "Man, I can do this. Like I can do this." I try and try and try to talk myself out it of it. I was convincing you more. My, more my 37 page business plan said number one reason I will fail. I have no restaurant experience. So what's my solution? <coughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't write software unless people um, like knew how to write software. Yeah. You know, wouldn't just hire somebody off the street. You got to know what you're doing. So yeah. my employees are going to know how to run restaurants. So yeah. they're going to start with a general manager. I'm not going to be the GM. That would be a disaster. Mm. I mean, and, and a GM, I mean, that is a, that's a heck of a job. Yeah. That person has to know um, to manage stress, has to manage all the employee drama, yep. has to have people skills, has to know how to be, build people up, but also not take crap from them yeah. right you know yeah. has yep. to um uh has to have relationships with vendors you know paper supply it sure. has to know has to be organized to do all the ordering and the the the, the physical organization the paperwork organization you yeah. know whatever and i said this is not me i accept who i am i'm a computer nerd and you know i'm socially awkward at times and uh i i, I relate more to nerds than i do to to people who are I'm late to work because my car broke down and I'm having issues that, you know, like I hadn't, you know, I, that's not my forte. Yeah. And, um, and the other thing is that I come from an environment where we treat employees very well. And I want that too. Mm. I would be a pushover. Honestly, I really would. And that's, but that's not a good business sense. And I've seen that in those shows. Mm. People are pushovers. They let, they let people walk all over them and take advantage. And eventually they can't run uh, a profitable restaurant. Um, so anyways, uh, that was my main thing. I go through and it's like, well, uh, I got to have competition. What am I going to do if I open a Go Burrito and a Chipotle opens down the, down the street? Yeah. Fast forward, Chipotle opened down the street and we kill those people. We yeah. were like absolutely killing them. But, um, you know, so I, I went through all these things and um, the business plan at the end of the day, I couldn't talk myself out of it. So I did it. So and you, then, you guys opened when? 
Uh, bought the building in middle of 2012 and okay. opened for business on February 21st of 2013. And here's a funny thing is, um, so I wanted to do, um, I, I decided we had this second story above Go Burrito okay. and a guy was living up there. And uh, one of the things I wasn't happy about, but I had to uh, evict him and um, the county wouldn't let me put a restaurant and have some, uh, like living quarters up there. Okay. And I was like, what am I going to do? I bought this two-story building. I can't do anything with the upstairs. Yeah. My architect said, why don't we <coughs> literally go back to the drawing board? And I love saying this because it's one of the few times you can actually use the word literally correctly, <laughs> but literally go back to the drawing board and redesign the layout and we'll do an upstairs and we'll put another set of stairs and we'll go to the roof. And so Go Burrito has a second story that I didn't know what to do with, but then had another, we put in stairs to go to the, we put a roof deck, the yeah. only one within 50 miles. Nice. And we thought that'll be a nice marketing thing. Of course, my price tag's going up. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what to do upstairs. I thought nobody's going to want to sit upstairs. Like that's like... That's like being in. That's like being in the back row where you can't sit. Like, like just gonna feel like you're a second class citizen. Like, why? Like, there's no place to sit downstairs. So I'm gonna have to go sit upstairs. You to know, it's not cool. Yeah. Well, so we put a bar up there to make it cool. Okay. And then now the funny thing is, everybody wants to sit upstairs. Yeah. And we got the second story. There's a nice view out the window of the historic wall mural. It turned out to be like an asset. Perfect. Yeah. But my price tag went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to a $600,000 renovation. Yeah. So now I had to go to the banks. And when I went to the banks, the banks didn't want to touch me with a 10 foot pole mm. because if you don't have restaurant experience, there's nobody in this world that will loan you money. Yeah. Um, and so you go, you know, beg into family members and, and, um, uh, when I went to the banks, I went to seven different banks. All of them told me, best business plan I've ever seen. Like yeah. kudos, like wow. They were, like I had talked to bankers who were been bankers for 40 years and they, have, they had never seen a business plan like this. Yeah. And I said, well, of course, because it was written with a different mindset. Yeah. It, wasn't diff it wasn't written to, to kiss your button and pat me on the back to look how awesome I am. This is why you should give me money. It, it, it laid out every single challenge and then what my solution was to that. Yeah. And why, like, I had confidence, but still, nobody wanted to give me money. Gotcha. Um, finally, found a, a bank that would say, "Well, you know what? You work at Microsoft. <coughs> you make really good money. You can afford. Uh, why don't you just buy the building, renovate it as a mortgage? Don't tell me that there's a business going in there, right? Yeah. A and you make enough money just to pay the mortgage. We yeah. don't even have. Let's just do it as a mortgage and uh -huh. not not as a business loan. Yeah. <coughs> and you know." Call it five percent, you know, pretty low interest rate, and um, so that's what we did. Nice. Got 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 in that way, and um, if it wasn't for that bank, Go Burrito wouldn't be here today. Wow. Well, um, uh, meanwhile, the the shopping for the banks, it had put thrown a wrench into things. Um, word got out that I wasn't getting financing. The contractor, like his subs, didn't want to work, go on the job anymore because they have a history of. Hey, if we don't work, we're not going to risk not getting paid. Yeah. Right. And so I told the contractor, I said, please tell your guys, like, I'll do all cash basis. I will pay you every week. Yeah. Like, I got money. Let's do this. I've yeah. got money yeah. until a certain point. Yeah. And I said, if I run out of money, then, and if I don't pay you, I'll pay you in advance. I don't care. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. keep, keep the project going. And then, <laughs> um, well, the bank loan was, uh, the guy, 
that I, I sat down with, um, he was he was great. Should have went to him in the first place. He was a big believer in downtown Salisbury. Well, keep in mind the year that this was, 2012, a lot of loans down around downtown had gone south. Uh. And this guy had signed off on a bunch of those loans. Yeah. Well, he I saw him on a Monday or Tuesday or something like that. And uh, and he said, let's make this deal happen. I'm like, awesome, a handshake. He says, but I'm going on vacation for a couple of days. When I get back, we'll like do the paperwork and blah, blah, blah. It's already in the system. But we'll like come in c- come in next Monday and we'll sign on it. Yeah. And and um, he's like, I have the authority to make this loan happen. Okay. Yeah. He went on vacation for just a couple of days. I get a call the next day from a realtor friend who knows him and says, uh, he just got fired. Oh, I was just going to say that. <laughs> oh. I'm like, what? Now, I feel like my world is crashing down because I've already got a couple hundred thousand dollars of my own money invested and I'm about out of money, you know, because I I mean, I was working at Microsoft pretty good, but I also just built a house, you know, I mean, I was doing okay by by small town standards, but I mean, I I I don't know who has that kind of money, you know, and um, so I'm running out of money. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm like, this is uh, this is not going to happen. This is this is uh, whatever. Well. The new new banker came in and uh, like replaced him and was much more cautious. The place now there had to be much more bank buyout, whatever. And uh, fortunately, because I got my foot in the door that day before, just literally the day before, yeah. Um, they 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 kept my file open and and they said it wouldn't have happened except that they just wanted to be a good a good bank and say we're not going to shut the door on you but but it was i was under much more scrutiny still got the loan thank yeah. god well then um wrap forward to february 1st i got laid off and i don't first, know I, I assume you've never been laid off because you've been kind of in family family industry. businesses yes i haven't it feels like getting fired Mm. Um, I was uh, pretty high level at Microsoft, yeah. and I thought I'll never, you know, I, I was safe, and 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 not only that, but I was like a, a star employee. Like I, there's things that I did that um, uh, I was what um, there was a word for it. They called me. I can't remember what it was, but they had come up with a new term for employees that were individual contributors. Yeah. Right, yeah. and you had a lot more leeway about what you work on and what you get done. Gotcha. And I was client facing, and I helped and I helped games come to market, and I had enough accolades under my belt, and I was highly requested by other companies. Okay. Microsoft doesn't want to let me go. They were just about to ship the Xbox One. They wouldn't let me go, and uh, we're, the the reason um, they let me go was they wanted me to move back to Seattle, and I said no. And my boss had fought for me and fought for me, and he said this is coming from up from higher up. And basically what happened is they were saying that my position was too important to be remote. They wanted gotcha. me there, walking the hallways, physically present at meetings. Sure. Some higher up, higher up, didn't believe in remote employees, thought you're not as effective if you're remote. And um, just a different mindset got mm. put in. And, and, and I, you know, I told my boss, I said, you know, that, that, like, I, I, this is backwards to me. Sell my lakefront house, move back to a tiny shoebox of a home, give everything. Well, now I've got several hundred thousand dollars on the, riding on this go burrito. I'm like, I, I really, really can't. Yeah. But um, uh, so I had said no, and and then Microsoft uh, HR called me, and um, they said, "Do you know what this is about?" And I said, "Yeah, you guys want me to move to Seattle." And he said, "That's one way to put it. Another way to put it is that." Um, 
we're letting your position go, so you're laid off. And um, man, it rocked my world. And I didn't get the golden parachute that people get. I got at the end after working that company for set for 16 years, I got um, seven thousand dollars, which my paychecks at the time were eight thousand dollars, like every two weeks. Yeah, and it was a, it was a quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, wow, I'm not even gonna pay my mortgage this month. Plus, when you the open business. a restaurant that last month. This is when you hire employees. You have two weeks worth of payroll with no income, yeah. right? So $20,000 in payroll, no income. You buy all of your equipment at the end, at least $100,000 equipment you're buying at the end. Your contractor's like, okay, everything is due, right? You start making your loan payments. You have to buy your inventory. Yeah. Okay, $10,000, $12,000 in inventory, yeah. especially when you add liquor on there. It was like, this is not, I said, this is not gonna happen. So I told my GM at the time, um, I said, we need to get open. Yeah. And she's like, well, we still got to try. I said, no, we just have to get open. Like, if we don't get open in the next, like, X number of days, this whole thing falls apart. Yeah. And we got open. And day one, we were cash flow positive. Nice. And have never been not cash flow positive. So that doesn't mean that, like, I was in the black because, you know, I had $600,000 of of investment. Yep. But um, but from day one, I always had enough money to pay my employees and pay my suppliers. And because I watched all those shows, one of my rules is everybody gets paid immediately. Like when you guys deliver products, I don't want to be on credit. I don't yeah. even know if you guys offer 30 or 60 days of float. I don't want it. Yeah. I'm like, when you give me product, I don't want to owe you money ever. I don't yeah. want to owe anybody money. So I know Cisco, um, our food vendor, they'll let us um, go on 30 days. Sure. We do twelve thousand dollars a week with them. Yeah. In thirty days, I could owe them fifty grand. Yeah. I, I would, and then that's how, and then and then that's how businesses um, get. get that, that's how restaurants get in trouble. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a. That was, I mean, that was awesome. I did not know all that, you know, but I, I think it's a pretty cool story on perseverance, right? I know a lot of people sometimes, you know, have a certain plan and kind of, you know, have in their mind how things are going to go, and then wrenches get thrown in the plan you know what i mean and you know yeah. the, the and it makes the, you stronger yeah the the path of success is never straight right I mean, you, you got to dodge and weave yeah. and you have to figure stuff out and you know each business has its different things that you got to overcome and figure out but i think you know for anybody listening or watching this i think it's um a pretty cool story of you know somebody that prepared you did you did your due diligence you try to figure out everything that you could beforehand you educated yourself you didn't go in blind you know, oh and, no, so much homework, so much homework. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, if anybody's listening or watching and, you know, wants to potentially have a business in the future, become an entrepreneur, or, you know, have a side hustle or whatever you want to do, I think it's important to make sure you do do your due diligence, do your homework, know know about the industry, the 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 things that are going to um, you know, you know, hinder you or, you know, uh, have you fail and so um, that's awesome. I mean, and, and, I, I and think you gotta, that's... and you gotta build a team too. hundred percent. Because, um, I did, uh, there's a lot that an entrepreneur does. Sure. Um, there's, there's doors that open your life. You have to walk through them. Sure. And then, and then sometimes you don't know what's there. Um, I mean, 
because I didn't know that it was gonna be hard to get bank financing. I didn't know I was gonna get laid off from Microsoft. There's no way I would have done it. Sure. I, I mean, I was I was uh, in the industry, in the tech industry, we call them golden handcuffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, Microsoft paid me very handsomely, plus health benefits. I have not had healthcare in in eight years now because I just haven't justified the um, the cost of it. Yeah. But at Microsoft, I realized, man, it was, a, it was <coughs> a luxury worth quite a bit of money. Yeah. So, well, cool. So let's let's fast forward. So you guys have, you know, been around for several years. You guys have done well. I think you guys, you know, franchised your first uh, store. I think I was just up there, up in Johnson City, Tennessee. So how did how did that pan out? How did uh, you know? Was that something that you always wanted to do? Franchise the business? Is that something? No, like actually, um, I didn't want. And uh, again, there were there's multiple ways to proceed in things. But um, my plan, my business plan, was that I would open up a Go Burrito, not work it. Yeah. My plan was to um, make $50,000 profit out of Go Burrito uh, off that one. And that's me not running it. Um, to put that in perspective, um, the numbers that I report for my franchise, um, for, for my selling franchises, sure. is that um, in, we haven't done our 2019 numbers. Those will be coming out very shortly. But in 2018, we did over $300,000 profit. Oh. So like my one, I thought that Go Burrito would make $50,000 profit. This is very conservative. Of course, sure. I hoped it'd make more. Sure. But I mean, the thing is, is remember the whole business plan, not patting myself on the back. So let me estimate that my labor will be more expensive. Yeah. My food costs Being will be more expensive, right? Yep, yep. Um, well, the, and, and, and I didn't think we'd be doing $2 million in sales, which yeah. we do. You know, I was thinking we do, I don't know, 800000 or something yeah. based on other numbers that I research. Again, back to that homework. Well, I thought that I'll open one Go Burrito. I'm going to open it for a year. Then I'm going to spend the next year getting ready to open a second one. In year, um, in year three, the third year, I was going to open my second Go Burrito somewhere within an hour's drive. Sure. And then in year five, by year five, I was going to open three, four, and five simultaneously. That was my goal. I, and I was I, so so when I opened the second Go Burrito, it was going to be all about documenting the process, improving the process of building the Go Burrito. Okay. Like because I can tell you, there's a lot of things that didn't go smooth the first time. Sure. I mean, I didn't know anything about restaurant yeah. equipment. Yeah. I mean, I. The number of hours I spent researching commercial toilets. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> but but I mean, you know, your contractor and your H, you're talking to your HVAC people, and like, what do you want, you know, for this and that? And you're like, I don't know anything about HVAC, so let, let me go, go from a lay person to at least to know how I can talk to these guys, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, what sort of fit and finish do you mean, and furniture and blah blah blah, and you know, how big's your kitchen? Well, all these things that yeah, I would build a Go Burrito totally different than that first one. And yeah. when you went to Johnson City, yeah. that's a model of everything that we'd want to do, yeah. right? It's a really beautiful, beautiful. store. It is. Um, well, um, so that was the plan, was to open five Go Burritos within five years. Okay. Five times 50, $250,000 a year. Now, if you could make $250,000 a year for the rest of your life, there's no retirement, no yeah. 65, no needed, no need for a 401k, no yeah. need for social security, right? Yep, yep. If five years, I said, if I made $250,000 a year and $250,000 a year from small businesses yeah. compared to getting a paycheck. Let's yeah. say you're a high-flying person that made $250,000 yeah. a year from an employer. You pay a lot of taxes on that. There's a lot of tax breaks and advantages to um, being a small business. Sure. Anyways, um, I said, I I'm just going to retire. Yeah. I'm just you're live done. on a beach somewhere, you right? Go. You know? Yeah. Well, um, well, Go Burrito made uh, more money than I thought it would make. And uh, But when I got laid off, you know, I lost all that income, I lost <coughs> all those health benefits. Um, 
it really threw a wrench in me. Um, but um, when I was looking at expansion, um, what happened was um, Cisco, a, a vendor, I, they've been very good to me. My very first year, they, they believed in me. And they, they, they made me feel that way. They're yeah. like, wow, you, you, we think you're going to go places and we want to make a relationship with you. Well, they did a very nice thing for me was they sent me to Chicago to go to the National Restaurant Association. So it's the NRA, not yeah. the one with guns, yeah. but with pots and pans. <laughs> and, um, and I spent a few days up there walking around that show. Okay. 70,000 people go to that show. Wow. And now... I'm used to this type of stuff. I've gone to so many computer expos where there's tens of thousands of people. Sure. And a lot of times I'm actually a speaker at that show okay. and I'm working in a booth and I'm dealing with the clients. But now I'm there. So so I'm not, a lot of people would be overwhelmed like, oh my God, like one of those trade shows. You've been yeah. to them, yeah, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But they would they would overwhelm like a, a normal person. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm kind of in my element. It's yeah. just like instead of computer booths and whatever, it's now, um, it's now pots and pans and furniture and you know, baking goods sure. and paper products and yeah. all these things, right? Well, um, I'm doing the whole show. Walked something like 11 miles in two days, I'm sure, around that show. And I get to the point where there's all the people who are trying to, like, uh, franchise your business. And yeah. I don't want to talk to them, you know, and uh, because I already have my plan. Yeah. And But one guy said, um, well, hey, I tell you what, he said, I'll give you a book. And his uh, the guy who owns the company, he's been around for a long time, one of the one of the founding fathers in the franchise world. Wow. You know, it wasn't Ray Kroc or anything, yeah. but um, uh, but this guy, he gave me a book. Yeah. And uh, it says, you know, basically should you franchise your business, right? Yeah, yeah. And I read the book, and the book actually was a, a sales thing about, yeah, it, it thinks, yes, you should franchise your business, okay. but it lays it out. Yeah. Pros and cons, yep. right? And it's a risk versus reward thing. Sure. Well, I'll tell you one thing that, um, I never liked about go, be, running Go Burrito was it's lonely at the top. Mm. I'm used to working on a team of hundreds of people. So when we made Halo or Gears of War, um, th these were our Grand Theft Auto. You know, I worked on teams. There was camaraderie. We made decisions together. You know, I had I had a say, and I felt very important. You know, and uh, but at the end of the day, there was. I was an expert in graphics. There was other people who did graphics. There was audio. There was production. There was sure. marketing. There yep, was legal. Yep. You know, and it took all these people to make a great game. And uh, here I am at Go Burrito. All legal decisions fall on me. All marketing decisions fall on me. Logo design. I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not an artistic guy at all. Um, menuing and the psychology of customers and all this stuff falls on me, you know, yeah. and, I, and I leverage my employees as much as I can. And uh, my, my, my general manager, I mean, she's my rock. I mean, this is, Go Burrito is as much her as is me, 400% mm -hmm. sure. It's awesome. And, um, and I, I hope we have a long working relationship with together, and I'd like to get her into ownership and get her into some wealth generation too. Nice. Um, but, um, but it's just lonely at the top, you know? And so when I read this book, one of the things was that you do it all yourself, you put, all, put up all the risk, and you get 100% of the reward, mm. right? But let's say I did my five Go Burritos, and, one, and I was always mindful, if one of them failed, one of them struggled, it would, might bring down the whole house of cards, mm. right? Because I would build this one up, borrow against it to do number two, borrow yeah. against that one to do number three, yeah. and so on. And so when one dies, you know, they all like have too much stress on the other ones financially, sure. just because I don't have the deep pockets. Sure. Once you get to the point of 10 or more, 
you can you you're finance you're strong yeah. but my plan was pretty aggressive heavily leveraging off might not be the best strategy if you believe in yourself yeah you know yeah but um but the franchising model what attracted to me to it was building a team now i've got franchisees that they have as much of a vested interest in making this work and they have their experience and they and they have what they bring to the table and i was like i love that idea I mean, I really love that idea. Yeah. I don't want to be, um, I don't want to own them all, you know, yeah. and plus you could own more of them. Now, the thing is when you're a franchisor, you get to control what I say is the fun stuff. Yeah. It's my brand, it's my logo, it's my concept. It's, I, I get final say, or I'm not the creative person, but I can have a team of people that we get to pick the furniture and we get to pick the colors of the walls and, sure. and you know, things like that. And that's kind of the fun stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then as far as the day-to-day uh, -day operations, um, I would have to oversee a franchisee the same as I'd have to oversee if it's my store, you yeah. know. Now, I only get a sliver of the pie sure. at, if it's a franchise location, but the point is there could be a lot of those sure. pies. So as far as um, the money point of view, I think it works out the same. And that's what this book said. Like, you know, it's kind of like, do it all yourself. It's going to be much slower, yeah. but you'll keep all the money, yeah. right? You'll have fewer locations, but you'll get to keep all that money. Whereas if it's franchised, you could have more locations. And, uh, and I thought, you know, this is, this is for me, I want to sit behind a computer. I want to do the marketing. I want to do code. Numbers, I want to do the website, yeah. you know, yeah. and this, this kind of appealed to me and being part of a team again, sounds great. You know, so, um, so we went the uh, franchise model. Nice. And it's, it's been, uh, very admittedly, it's been very slow to go. I, I, I got a little too much. Um, I was greased a little bit too much that it was a little rosier. Um, the, the team I franchised with, you know, it cost me several hundred thousand dollars. And they had projections that within five years, we would have 30 to 50 Go Burritos. Wow. I would have probably 20 employees working on the franchise side and at the end of the day um they didn't have a sales force that yeah. that could deliver on that mm. and so um so we've got johnson city we've got a bunch sold in florida that aren't open yet but nice. they're sold and they'll be coming along That's and awesome. we've always got leads in the pipe nice and so there's still a bright future the timeline is um, dragged out. So in the meantime, we are going to start opening, um, our own go burritos and okay. our next one, um, we've got Johnson city go burrito, which is a franchise. Okay. We've got some coming down in Florida okay. and we're hoping to have some big news on, on, um, the first one of those here shortly in the next uh, couple months, hopefully. Okay. And then, um, in Burlington, North Carolina, we're going to be opening up a another one that nice. I, don't know, I don't know how you describe this if it's corporate location but i'm bringing my general manager into and her husband into the ownership of that nice and what's I, the timeline that'll be open when do you think Burlington. uh july nice so not too far this year yeah in fact um the timeline of that is up to the landlord and the other tenants so nice. she is uh mm. that property owner up there in burlington she is projecting, I think June 1st or July 1st, I can't remember. But if she said March 1st, 
uh, six weeks away, I think we could make it happen. Nice. I think we could, because the space is ready to go. Yeah. But I think we could go in there, throw up a wall, move some electrical around, yeah. paint the walls, put in some equipment, some furniture. Um, I think I think it's something that I would love to take away just for the audience real fast that's listening or watching about just time frames. You know, um, I think a lot of times in business, you know, we have to be patient, right? Like we, we have, you know, a lot, of, I mean, I know even for myself, you know, starting our paper company, our first four or five years, there's a lot of learning. I mean, and it, it didn't grow as fast as I wanted it to, but you know what, it, it um, you know, it was exactly what we needed. You know, at the time it was slow uh, progressive growth, 11 straight years we've grown, double digit growth every year. You know, and it's just it's it's just pretty cool to see that you know with patience and hard work and diligence and perseverance. Sometimes you're not sure how things are going to work out, or you know, but you know, you kind of just you know take that take that next step. You know, who started you, the company? My cousin and I. My cousin and I. You know, I was um, I was 22. I was a recent grad from Catawba. You know, I was kind of born and raised here, and um, I finished school in 08. The market wasn't good. You know, I. Um, you know, interviewed at a bunch of different places and nobody was hiring. Every there's hiring freezes everywhere. And I always wanted to start a business. Always. My I saw my dad in restaurants and, you know, he's he's open seven. He's got three that we own and operate. And we have a fourth one where we have some partners down in South Carolina. And um then they got into real estate and started investing in commercial residential properties and um and I just saw kind of the the flexibility. So you grew up around restaurants, so there was always that um being your own boss. 100%. I, yeah, I mean, every summer we'd go to Greece for two months, visit my family, all, all my family's over there. It's just my dad and his two brothers that this are is, here. The path that you took is, um, is a lot more ambitious, actually. Um, when, I, when I talk to people about entrepreneurship, um, there's, you know, I talk to high school kids, and, sure. and I say one thing you gotta, you gotta accept is that a, a, a lot of people need to go out there and have the life experience and the money. The money's got to come from somewhere. There's not yeah. a lot of 22 year olds that can, um, that, that, that's, a, that's a challenge. You know, yeah. certainly no bank is going yeah. to. No, uh, we had gotten, I mean, I mean, we went to the Office Depot just down the road and got a, a laptop and a QuickBooks wholesale edition. And, you know, I think we had borrowed maybe like 35,000 from my dad to get some, get a little truck and some initial nice. inventory. And it was just me and my cousin and we just, you know, and you know, there's a lot. I mean, I wish I would have maybe worked for a company, a paper company, and knew, understand logistics. And I didn't know anything. I didn't know sales. I didn't know logistics. And so it's just been 11 years of learning more about the industry, how to run a business. I mean, a lot of stuff. And you know, my cousin was 18. He's four years younger than me, so he didn't he didn't, he didn't even go to school. But um, but I just I just think the one thing that I would love to tell people is you got to be patient. You have to, I mean, things will, it'll take time right. to, to develop and mature a business well, and, and learn. Especially because uh, you're, you're a client-based business. Yep. And the day you started your business, all your clients had other customers. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you know? I had to one by one, yeah. you know, you know, convince these guys that this 22-year-old knew what he was doing and he would, you know, produce a good product and have good service. And so, but I, I guess my, my whole point of even saying any of that was just be patient, you know? And so, um, so, so we, have, we have a lot of projects for Go Burrito in the future. It looks like Florida, looks like Burlington. Um, that's exciting. Um, I guess maybe we'll just wrap up. Anything, uh, any advice you'd give anybody out there that would like to own a business or, 
you know, maybe has entrepreneurial tendencies or has a little side business that they'd love to grow outside well, of their of their maybe corporate. Well, let me career. let me tell you this. So, um, I got a couple passions in my life, okay. and um, the technology has always been one of them, okay. from coding to robots and and that kind of stuff. And um, uh, that's that's definitely like the the core of who I am. Okay. Uh, the other passion is entrepreneurship, and that's new to me. Um, because of Go Burrito, but you know I've I've gone through it. And one thing is, when when you're a business owner, you tend to make meet other business owners, and um, a lot of us still need help. You know, we need mentors, and and you should always have a mentor. Sure. You know, and um, sometimes your mentors are uh, a virtual person, like like Bill Gates could be your mentor. You know, you mm. could read his books, you could follow him, or Elon Musk, or you know somebody sure. could sure. could inspire you and. Um, uh, and then other times there's a classic mentor or someone like, you know, locally, a lot of, a lot of people who are, you know, our age and older, a little too like set in our minds to like take a, 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 a physical mentor. Like I offer myself out there, but a lot of people don't want, well, I don't want to take advice from, I don't want Mikey to tell me how to run my restaurant, but it's like, sometimes it's just like another pair of eyes, 100%. right now. But, um, mentorship is, is huge. Yep. And along this lines, um, we um, there, there's a, a handful of us. Really, the credit goes to Greg Eds, our Rowan County Commissioner. Okay. And uh, but uh, an effort got started that is now called the Rowan Idea Center. Okay. And Idea stands for Innovation, Development, Entrepreneurship, and Acceleration. And a lot of communities have this physical space where you can go start a business. Okay. Like imagine you start a home-based business yep. and then at some point you need an office yeah. and you need, you need to be more professional. You need a conference room. You don't need a conference room hundred percent of the time and you don't need a secretary hundred percent of the time. You don't need a copy machine hundred percent of the time. So, you know, you come to this place and you, you rent and you grow your business there, but you also get mentorship, you get business classes, you get, uh, access to, um, you know, people will come be an audience and refine your pitch and critique sure. you and, yeah, and help yeah, you grow yeah. your business. So, um, we're trying to do something like that in Rowan County. That's so awesome. it's called the Rowan um, Idea Center. It's a 501c3, and I'm the president of that organization. Nice. Um, so we have a board of local entrepreneurs and people from academia, people from healthcare, people from government that are involved in this process. And we're trying to find a home. It's very expensive because we're a nonprofit yeah. and you know we need a 10,000 square foot space. Yeah. Even if, even if we had a free space, it's still expensive to retrofit that and furnish it. Sure. But anyways, um, we do monthly um, talks and round tables and things like that, like how to form your business, how to find a mentor, how to, how to s some business topic. Yeah. And uh, um, so one piece of advice I'd say to people is find the, these resources in your area. Mm. Um, get a mentor and um, and absorb all this stuff. Learn from other people. Yep. I mean, if you think about it, like like my path to success was, um, you know, I, well, I had a whole career in tech where yeah. I learned and was built up yep. around other people. Yep. And then when I got into the industry, uh, into this industry, I said, I said I can't do this by myself. Mm. I said I have to learn from people who've already done it. So sure. I was learning from Chipotle and Moe's. You know, and then I, you know, hired a general manager who knew what the heck she was doing, right? Yeah. And then even when I made the decision to franchise, um, that decision was to go with a, a company that knew how to do it. Now, the sales on, uh, for them wasn't terribly great. But as far as building the franchise model and stuff, you yeah. know, um, we have a very good franchise model. That's awesome. Um, so there's, 
you can't you can't do it by yourself. You got to be 100%. realistic what you can and can't do. Sure. You got to be realistic about when you bring other people into the mix, and and you and you got to be patient. You got to you got to start yeah. humble. I, I my my anticipation for Go Burrito was fifty grand a year out of a concept that it would have been very easy for me to 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 lie to myself on paper to say oh it's going to be awesome and it's going to make so much money yeah. and I should just quit my job now yeah. and yeah, and yeah. whatever. That's just not that's not a very realistic way to enter a business. Yep, I like that. I mean, I 100% I agree. I think being self-aware, knowing your strengths, um, assembling a team that is strong and other things that you're not strong, you know, I guess I'm kind of deducing the things that you're talking about, um, just associating with other people that are like-minded and can can help you, um, you know, grow your, your endeavor, your business. And so, um, yeah, so it's exciting. I think uh, I think we're good. I think I think this is awesome. Um, obviously, people can reach you at uh, goburrito.com. Of course. So you know, come check out their store. They have one in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. Go check it out. If you're in the Salisbury area, make the quick trip. Uh, it's definitely worth it. I'm a regular customer. Uh, it's a great business. You know, great people. Very family friendly environment. And so, uh, Mikey, appreciate it. Thank you so Thank much you. for stopping by. And so we'll see you guys in the next episode. And well, thank you for stopping by. You're in my home. Yes, I, <laughs> I did. I I, uh, I crashed the office here, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, really good getting to know people and kind of learning from each other and kind of masterminding. And so uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode.